This Thacker Slate podcast is hosted by Connie Thacker and Allison Slate, two experienced attorneys who believe honesty, transparency, and knowledge are key to achieving the best legal outcomes. A variety of topics, particularly those related to sensitive family law matters, are candidly covered by Connie and Allison in a way that's refreshing, timely, and practical for listeners. Okay, we're here for the Thacker Slate podcast. My business partner, Connie Thacker, is here with me today. And we're also with our guest, uh, Melinda Prince of the Prince Agency. And she's going to help us talk a little bit about insurance in the event of a divorce. So we're talking about health insurance. And then also insurance, uh, late stage insurance, when you might retire, and hopefully I do, before you obtain the age where you can get Medicare. So good morning. Good morning. Thanks for coming. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. And I guess we'll start out with a little bit about uh, the insurance process as it relates to divorce. How do we get our clients that are going to be kicked off of maybe employer coverage, insurance, and health insurance after the judgment's entered? Absolutely. Well, the path that it normally takes is it's um, usually that date when everything's already been settled, right? And they just have to come before a judge and it's finalized on that day. In most situations, unless there's been usually some other circumstances arranged for in the divorce decree, the spouse that does not carry the health insurance usually loses their coverage at midnight on that night, right? So we have to prepare ahead of time before that. So usually the first stage is when we know a divorce is imminent or coming is to come have an appointment and meet with me and talk about, well, what does insurance on your own look like that's right. not part of a group plan? Yeah. Because there are a lot of moving parts to it. Sure. Um, things like at this point in history with the Affordable Care Act that is still on the books, um, our choice for health insurance you know, has a premium. Do we choose a high deductible, low deductible, things like that? And that's determined by our age and the zip code that we live in. However, our ability to get a tax credit to help pay for it possibly um, is determined by our adjusted gross income in the year that we're asking for the health insurance. So we kind of walk through, well, are we talking about this divorce is going to happen at the end of June and we're halfway through the year? And how's the tax return going to be filed at the end of the year? Most of the time it's as a single person by that point. Um, what is that spouse's now going to be on their own? What's their income going to look like on that tax return? And that helps determine what their cost of insurance ultimately is and whether they get a tax credit to help pay for it or not. So we walk through that ahead of time, know what the time frame looks like in front of us. We may not have any date yet for a divorce, but at least having that piece to the puzzle in the back of your mind, it also can help in the process of deciding, you know, well, what does somebody need to fight for or ask for in a divorce as well? Because what are my costs going to look like on the other side of this? Right? right. So it sounds like, you know, we should be really sending people your way early on in the process rather than at the last minute when we know that the divorce is right around the corner, we should start sending them to you really ahead of time so they can make a determination of what is it that they're going to need and what's the cost going to look like, right? Exactly. And some of that even comes down to issues of, you know, what underlying health issues are there, right? Um, it, it, We can still get them coverage, right, even for pre-existing conditions. So that's not the issue. But the issue is, am I somebody that's very healthy and I never use my health insurance and I'm not as concerned about those out-of-pocket costs except for just emergencies? Or do we have 
have some underlying chronic issues that we need to make sure that we've got well covered because that's a big piece of the financial picture. Right. Uh, what are some of the documents or information that clients, our clients or the general public needs to bring to a meeting with you regarding their health care? So basic things like uh, address and zip code and, you know, um, social security numbers, things like that. But um, the bigger issues would be uh, we have to estimate that income for that year. And sometimes that's the most difficult part of the entire process because, you know, depending on someone's age, um, you know, how late in life is this? Is someone even possibly 62 years old and part of this divorce process is we're now going to start drawing social security benefits, whereas we may have postponed it before, or are they much younger than that? And are they going to get a part-time job as a result of this? And how much would we expect? Maybe they think they're going to work. What are our prospects for employment? Are we not going to, because we're expecting to get spousal support of a certain amount? Because I think you're aware that the law changed recently with regard to taxable spousal support. And I think it's based on, correct me if I'm wrong, Connie, the date of the divorce decree as opposed to the date that the spousal benefits are received in, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So those issues, um, you know, dealing with people that have been in previous years, you know, divorce decrees, it's different than people that are going to, divorces going forward with newer dates. Exactly. And so support both child and spousal is included in that income equation? No. Child support is not included as taxable income in that equation. So if they're you know, have custody and are even getting support, it's just left out of the equation altogether. Um, spousal support, though, is then dependent upon when was the decree final and is it going to be taxable or not taxable. Mm. Yeah. Oh, it's all good information, good to yeah. know. What do you think about the um, impact of um, people who are divorced and after the divorce is final and getting ready to prepare for retirement? Yeah, so... Um, as we transition into retirement, you know, if, you know, on the left end of the spectrum is, you know, people employed under an employer's plan, right? And at the very far right end of the spectrum is um, either individuals or couples that are fully in retirement and on Medicare together, there's a bumpy road in the middle between there, right? And it can be a little tricky in terms of is spouses are never the same age, uh, rarely. And all of my years of doing this, I, there was one time ever I had a husband and wife that turned 65 within the same month, right? Hmm. Other than that, it doesn't usually happen that way. And so we've got to get, um, if somebody wants to retire um, before they reach the age of 65, which that's happening quite a lot. I have a lot of clients that are retiring between 58 and 62. So are they going to choose individual health insurance where we talked about tax credits and what does that income look like? And then when we make the transition to Medicare at the age of 65, what do the costs look like for that? Because once one spouse goes on to Medicare, the other spouse stays on under 65 coverage, the amount of tax credits that they're eligible for on the same amount of income is about a third. So it really can actually increase someone's costs and they're not prepared for it usually. Mm-hmm. So making sure that we're looking at that you know, road in front of us and what does it look like? What are the costs over time as that changes before then the costs usually go back down a little bit once they're both fully on Medicare over 65. So... And that can involve like sometimes um, we'll have people that, you know, um, a a classic example would be maybe the husband continues to work and is carrying the health insurance for both of them. And um, once in a while, the woman's a little bit older and she's eligible for Medicare, right? And does she take Part A of Medicare, which is the part that is usually premium free to most of us as a secondary payer to the employer's plan and then transition to Medicare later? 
Um, some other things to be, I, I usually tell people that the most optimum time to come talk to me is either a year before they're going to retire, no matter what their age is, or a year before their 65th birthday, whichever comes first. Right. Okay. So even if they're going to work to 72 years old, still come talk to me a year before their 65th birthday, because there are timelines and deadlines and penalties that can be assessed if you don't do things in the right order and at the right time. All right. So one classic example I think I shared with you before is, um, had a gentleman whose wife was uh, uh, disabled, right? And so she was eligible for Medicare early. Um, he stayed employed and decided that he was going to retire exactly 18 months before he turned 65 years old in order to ride out COBRA to the end of it. Mm. Seemed like a good plan at the time until he didn't you know, get referred to me and find me for help until about two months before he was ready to go to Medicare. Well, at that point, his he'd left the employer's plan, which... When you're employed, your employer's plan legally takes first position and pays first. And his wife, who was eligible for Medicare and only on Part A, which is the premium-free part, is a secondary payer. But as soon as he leaves employment, and it's that same benefit offered to him as a COBRA benefit, it then legally takes second place and Medicare takes first place. And now you're under the Medicare law that you have to have A, B, and D, or you're going to get fined later. Hmm. And they only give you 60 days to get it done from the date of leaving employment. So... In his situation, when he found me two months before he turned 65 years old, his wife had already been eligible for Medicare and should have had at least Part B and D for the last year and, you know, four months or something, right? Right. So Medicare had closed the door on her at that point then, and they won't let her enroll until the general enrollment of each year, which is the first quarter. Hmm. The coverage then doesn't start till the second half of the year, July 1. So you can kind of see there's a lot of complicated rules and timelines that, long story short, come talk to me a year before you're going to retire, no matter what your age, and and or a year before you turn 65, even if you're going to keep working longer, right? So that we know what the road looks like in front of us and we can do it on time without any penalties. How are the um, premiums for the other uh, portions of it? How are those premiums determined? Um, for Medicare, um, Part A is premium free as long as somebody has worked at least 40 quarters and paid into the system long enough. They don't even have to be a citizen. They just have to have legal status to be in the U.S. Um, part and that Part A covers inpatient things only, hospitals, things like that. Um, part B as in boy is the medical portion, which covers outpatient services, doctor's visits, lab tests, things like that. That part we all have to pay for. The average or most people have to pay currently in this year, it's $135.50 per month. Mm -hmm. When I say most people, that's married filing jointly $170,000 a year or less. Okay, If your income is above that, then there's an extra amount tacked on for higher income. And there's about four or five different levels above that. Um, so, And that premium is based on your modified adjusted gross income from two years before. So here's right. another reason why so I, I tell people to come talk to me a year before they're going to retire because right. sometimes they make decisions about, I'm going to cash out some stock that I had in this company. I'm going to do all kinds of things. And then their things. premiums are sky high because they've done that. Yes. Yeah. So And they don't find out until it's too late and it's already a filed tax return, Yeah. right? Right. So, um, yeah, it's dependent on income. The vast majority of people stay under that 170, but 
Um, there can be spikes, you know, even people who are, you know, at a $60,000, $80,000 income, you know, two years into retirement, the car fails. And are they going to go take $40,000, $50,000 out of an IRA to replace it? And in that year, they kind of jumped over that line, right? Exactly. So we go over all of that and help them understand, you know, make decisions with your, you know, tax professional and things like that along the way, because here's where the lines are. Gosh, there's so many rules, right? There are. (laughs) Yeah, but I think if you don't get with somebody like you with the expertise that you have, you could really find yourself in a financial nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Certainly spending way more than needed. Um, That example of the couple taking COBRA, um, the Part B penalty, if you don't do it on time, is 10% for every 12 months you go without it. So that particular couple, she's going to have a 20% penalty on top of her Part B premium every single month for the rest of her life. Oh my goodness. And then there's the Part D prescription drug penalty, which is a different one that's tacked on top of that as well. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Expensive stuff. Unfortunate. Yeah, it yeah. is. So information, of course, you know, is power, as they say. Yeah, no doubt. Come find out ahead of time. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming. We appreciate you coming this morning. Great Absolutely. information. Great information. That was awesome. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Thacker Slate podcast. If you have additional questions, do not hesitate to contact us at 616-888-3810 or visit our website, thackerslate.com, for additional information. 